And Father, we pray that, Lord, eternal life will become part of everyone's life that has been in the streets, that has somehow, Lord, forsaken thee, that, Lord, that you would reach out to them because, Lord, it's your will that none should perish. And we pray for our community. We pray for our neighborhood. We pray for those on Copley Road. We pray, O God, that you would work a work and that, Lord, you would do a work only that you're able to do. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we can be a part of that work because your word says that we are co-labors with you. And Lord, we want to do that which you will assign us to do. Lord, let us not, Lord, waste time. But, oh, Lord, raise up witnesses from among Akron Lions Fellowship that is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but is willing, oh, God, to share your truth, to share the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and help us, Lord, to be a people, as Paul said, that are not ashamed of the gospel, but knowing that it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, we pray that you would work mightily. But we recognize, Lord, that you have to start that work in us. And we pray, Father, that you would work through us, O oh God. Work in our hearts. Mold us and make us what you want us to be for that we might be, O oh God, your workmen, that we might carry out your will, that it would be said of us that we are about our Father's business. Lord, may you do it for your namesake and for your glory. Now, Lord, as we open up your word, may you speak, and may you encourage our hearts. We're not here, Lord, to have our ears tickled, we're not here, O oh Lord, for a fanfare or for entertainment. But Lord, we're here to meet with you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, might teach. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All the things that life sometimes brings to us. It's amazing. But yet... We're the ones who have to be willing to face it. And if we're not willing to face it, we find it very difficult in life. How many of us run from truth? And usually when you're running from truth, it's like running away from your shadow. Remember when you were a child and you used to try to run away from your shadow? And sometimes you would even get there in the shade tree and you would kind of take a step out and there it would be. You step back. You just couldn't get away from your shadow, could you? Wherever you went, that shadow was there. That's truth. And sometimes people think, well, if I just move away, the truth will change. No, it won't. No, it won't. Or we say, well, if we don't acknowledge that this is the truth, then... I don't have to deal with it. Truth will just linger there until you deal with it. There's something about God that will not allow you to live in a lie. 
because he is not a God that lies to us. But he is a God who makes us face the truth. And sometimes it takes a while. It takes a while for us to come to a place to say, this is truth. And I'm going to deal with the truth. Because God's not going to change the truth to please us. He's not going to change the truth to make us happy. He's going to put the truth right before us and we have to deal with it. This is one of the areas that as Christians we really have to face. Because when it comes to worshiping the Lord, the Lord says you have to worship me in spirit and in truth. And a lot of times we come to the Lord living a lie. And we know that we're not the people that we should be. We're not the saint that we should be. We know that we're doing that which is wrong and against his word. And somehow we want to step into his holy presence and make our request and thank He's heard us. When we're in sin, the only prayer God's going to hear is the prayer of repentance. Until repentance is confessed, everything else is void. Everything else is void. It is not where we worship, but the attitude of how we worship. That is important to God. I can be in my basement and worship God. I can be in my bathroom worshiping God. I can be in my garage worshiping God. I can be in my kitchen worshiping God. I can be out on my job worshiping God. Because it's my attitude. Not a building or a place that I'm in. It's my attitude. How I approach God. Recognizing that I'm in his presence. And that I come into his presence in a manner which he has ordained me to step in. I don't come just any old way. Too many of us are coming to God just saying, either you accept me the way I am or I'm gone. Well, you're just gone. Because if you are going to deal with God and live for God, God's going to change you. He's not going to change, but he's going to change us. He's going to change us. And that's what's important. That we're in a process of flux of being changed for his glory. That we are moving from glory to glory to glory. And one day we'll be fully glorified because we'll be in his presence. Go with me to John chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 19. The woman at the well, but we're going to shorten it just a little bit here and get into it a little here, because her issue was, we don't worship in Jerusalem. We worship here in Samaria. Given was a mountain next to Ebon, about two miles between each other. Some say Abraham uh, 
sacrifice Isaac there was going through that there and, and Joseph is buried at the bottom of Ebon and so forth. The whole process comes down to this place. These two hills are very important but yet here is this Samaritan woman and, and her issue is that she's a Samaritan. Remember a Samaritan is a half breed not a full Jew. And really wasn't welcome per se in Jerusalem to worship. So they had their own place to worship. And that was her argument against the Lord. So in verse 19 she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Catch her emphasis. You Jews say, We have to worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here. We worship here. Come on down with me just a little bit into verse 25 before we jump back up into 21. The woman said, I know that I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 26. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. She has her form of religion. She has her knowledge of religion. She has her knowledge based on what she has been taught. But she understands this. When the Messiah comes, he was going to do what? A further teaching. A deeper teaching. Now catch what Jesus is going to say here. Pick up in verse 21. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in where? Jerusalem. Because it's not about the place. It's not about the place. It's about the attitude. It's about the heart. A lot of people can be in church and God is the furthest thing from them. Because their attention is on something else other than God. And God is looking for those who are seeking after him in worship. And he goes on and he says, You Samaritans worship what you do not, what? No. Understand, a lot of people worship in ignorance. A lot of people worship in ignorance. Not that they're not worshiping, but that worshiping is not going anywhere. Because it's not prescribed as God has prescribed it. Yet a time is coming, verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And he calls them the true worshipers. That the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe the Bible is trustworthy and reliable? When speaking, oftentimes, on the subject of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, do we really believe it? Or is this a book of myths? Is this only a history book? Is this a book that doesn't make sense? And understand, to the natural man, it should not make sense. But to the spiritual man, it makes sense. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. But the spiritual man and woman should understand the things of God. Because God's going to reveal them. God's going to teach them. God's going to show them. Now, stay with me here for a moment. Misbelief are the cause of emotional turmoil. A lot of our emotional turmoil that we're seeing today in people is because of misbelief. It gets all in their emotions, into their thinking and so forth. And they believe this and they believe that. But to really challenge that belief of what they're believing, usually will turn out to be false. But because the emotions get all tied up with the belief, we have a lot of wrong thinking that causes people to be stressed out because it doesn't work. If you try to take a square and put it in a round hole, it just isn't going to work. You can push it, you can jump on it, you can get mad at it, you can become angry, it's not going to fit. And that's what happens emotionally. We're trying to take a lie and fit it into that which is true and it just will not fit. Misbelief are the cause of destructive behavior. I believe this. I believe if I cheat on my exam, I'll make it. I'll make it. You cheat, you get a B, and you cheat again, and you get your C, and you cheat again, and you get an A, but finally you get caught and found out that you've been cheating. Where does that put you? Then you become mad at everybody else but who? Then you talk about what they did to you rather than who? I can believe this guy loves me. But the reality is all the sign says he doesn't or she doesn't. 
And then when they walk away, that belief that you believe that this person loved you, the reality comes out, what? Really didn't love me. They used me, they satisfied themselves with me, but really didn't love me. Anymore in counseling, I don't use the word love because it's so confusing in our day. The word I use is commitment. Are you willing to be committed? No matter how hard it gets, what we go through, are you willing to be committed to me? Don't, not about love. I'm like Tina now. What love got to do with this? Hey, hey, hey. But are you committed? Hey, are you committed? Self-talk. Self-talk. How many of you talk to yourself? Yeah, most of us do, don't we? We talk to ourselves. Self-talk. But when talking to yourself, are you telling yourself the truth or are you lying to yourself? And oftentimes in self-talk, we lie to ourselves. Just because we want to believe something to be true will not make it true. This thing a lot of Christians I hear saying, and I'm not going to receive that, I'm not going to receive that. The only thing you've got to ask is one question, is it true? Now whether you receive it or not, it's not going to make it go away. The issue is this is true. You got to deal with it. It's not about you don't receive it. If I'm sick in my body, don't talk about I'm not going to receive it. It's already there. I got to take the corrective steps now to deal with it. What we convince ourselves of sets a course of action. Once you convince yourself in your mind that this thing is true that you're thinking about, it sets forth a course of action. And once you step out into it and it's not true, it's nothing but devastation. I'm a failure and I'm no good. And some people believe that about themselves. I'm a failure. I'm no good. What's the result of that? I don't care. It don't matter. If I'm no good and nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, my life really don't matter. So it don't matter what I do. I can shoot up. I can smoke up. I can kill somebody. I can this. I can. It don't matter. I'm lonely and miserable. When you're lonely and miserable... You accept anybody's love, per se. You accept the most raggediest man walking or the man accept the most raggediest woman walking. I mean, if I'm really lonely and desperate, and I believe that, I accept anything in life. If I believe this is the only man for me, he, he can beat me, abuse me, and do it, I, I'm going to stay right there. Because I'm lonely and I'm scared if I don't accept him or accept her and their bad behavior and their bad, I won't have anybody else in life. 
And I teach myself that. I know this is wrong, but God will forgive me. How many of you heard Christians say that? I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me. The thing you didn't ask about is this. What's the consequences? What's the consequences? Yes, God is going to forgive you. When you repent, God's already promised. He will forgive you. But still, what's the consequences you've got to go through now for the wrong? God's word is outdated. How many of you have heard that? It's not relative for today. It's old and, 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 and it don't fit our time. Boy. God's word is endless. It fits our time. Thing is, do we fit the word? Amen. Turn with me to Proverbs 16, 2. I want you to catch these three areas. Keep in mind of John now. Proverbs 16, 2. Of how we have to worship the Lord. All a man's ways seem innocent to him. Or right in his own eyesight. Every man see himself by. Right in his own sight. See himself innocent and so forth. Everything he does, it's okay for him. may not be for you. That's part of our problem. God's word is for all of us. All a man's ways seem innocent to him. But motives are weighed by the Lord. You need to understand that. As you come in to worship the Lord, the Lord weighs your intent. The Lord weighs your motive. God knows why you're coming into his presence. And oftentimes we come deceitfully. Understand this. Nothing is hid from the Lord. Nothing is hid from the Lord. Even to this point, oh Lord, search my heart. Because you and I, he's already told us. The heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it but who? Lord, search my heart. That Lord, when I come before you in prayer, when I'm in a mode of worship before you, that Lord, my heart is pure. Search my heart. If there be any bitterness there, any envy, anything in my heart that is wrong, Lord, bring it to the surface that I might deal with it. 2 Corinthians 10.5 2 Corinthians 10.5 Because the whole process is that we come to this area and boy, we think that we don't have to do battle sometime before we go into the presence of the Lord. We need to do spiritual warfare. We need to do battle because Satan wants us at time to come into the house of God with all this filth and all this garbage and all this dirt and Satan said, see him, see him. He lying to you. See the deceptiveness in his heart? See this? See that? See, they knew they were out last night shacking up with something. They, they, but see what they're doing today? Our thoughts. Look at what it says in verse 5. Want you to hang in there with that? And John 4.24. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
we demolish every argument, every wrong thought, every action. We demolish it. We don't allow it to linger in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds. We deal with it. We deal with it as we step into the presence of God to worship him. We deal with it. 1 John 4.1 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test everything. See if it's of God. Test it before you step into the presence of God. Go back to Leviticus 10 with me. I think these young men would have tested and these young men would have did what the scripture was just saying, what we just went over. They may have lived a little bit longer. But in this, we may see it harsh and we may see it hard. But parents even take note of this. Because these are Aaron's children. But because they went before the Lord wrongly, the Lord killed them. And then he said to Aaron, you can't even grieve for him. Now, we may think that's harsh. You can't rip your clothes. You can't grieve. In other words, God said, they did wrong in dishonoring me. And if you grieve for them and you cry for them, you do that, you agree with them. And God says, you can't do it. But what God then, he calls on their cousins to come and get their bodies and take them outside of the city. And then he brings a correction to Aaron and the other sons. He says, Aaron, son of Nabdab, and, Ab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. You can't worship God contrary to his commands. You can't step into his presence calling yourself going to praise him and worship him knowing you're totally contrary to his word. Get that thought in mind. Because many of us are stepping in churches living in situations we know we shouldn't live in but we're going to get up there think we're going to raise holy hands. We think we're going to do some holy dance. We think we're going to do this or do that. Knowing we're living totally contrary to the word, to God's commands. He goes a little further and he simply says, So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke when he said, among those who approach me, who approach me, I will show myself holy. 
Can God show himself any other way? That's his character. That's who he is. His command is, he is holy. Be you what? Holy. When you step in to worship God, be holy. Not by being perfect. But making sure those sins have been confessed. There's been a washing in the blood of Christ. There's been a cleansing that has taken place. Because God is a spirit. And we're going to look at how his spirit helps prepare us to go into his presence. And he says, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. Now, catch this. I will be honored. You're not going to come before me mocking me. You're not going to come before me any kind of way you think you want to come. Now anybody can say with their mouth that they love the Lord Jesus. But remember what Jesus says, man. Oh, you say, Lord, didn't I do this? And Lord, didn't I do that? And the Lord says, I know you not. And he simply says here, I will be honored that when you step into the presence of God, the way you honor God is through your obedience. The way you honor God is that you know you are living to that amount of understanding that he has given to you and that he has taught you. He does not expect you to live what he has not taught you. But what he has taught you he expects you to come into his presence practicing that. Honoring him. Go in, into verse 10 with me a little bit in that same chapter. Start in verse, verse 8. These gentlemen who the Lord consumed went in there saying, I'm going to do my own thing. And a lot of us come into church saying, I'm going to do my own thing no matter what God does. You're living on a thread. Look here in that verse 8. He says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, And your sons are not to drink wine or other ferment drink whenever you go into the tent of meetings or you will die. Why can't you drink wine? Why can't you drink some ferment? Because when you go before the, before the Lord, the Lord wants you sober. The Lord wants you to be able to think clearly. The Lord wants your full attention. And he knows what alcohol or the wine will do. And he says, I want your focus on me. And he simply tells them, if you do this, you will die. Go a little further. This is a lasting ordinance from the generations to come. You must distinguish. Catch what he's going to say here now. You must distinguish between the holy and the common. You have that responsibility. 
that when you go before the Lord, you have to distinguish in your life what is holy, what is pure, what is of the world, what is the filth you're bringing with you. You got to distinguish that. Remember those doormats people you put in front of their house, their doors before you enter in? What did they expect you to do before you stepped into their house? And then wiping your feet was a, doing a what? Cleansing the soles or the bottom of your shoes that when you step into their house, you're not what? Leaving mud or marks of your dirt that you're bringing from where? Outside. Now, some people would just go ahead and just run on in the house, and in that we called it a disrespect. Now, if we call that about ourselves, you're disrespecting my house, and you're going to run up into God's house of worship and totally disrespect it. He says, you must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. That they can distinguish. Our young people today, they can't distinguish of what's good, what's clean, what's pure. Because as long as I enjoy it, it's good. And we have to really help our young people distinguish what is good. What is common. The common thing that goes around the community. The common thing that happens among us. Is not always good. So we hear the thing saying. Everybody's, everybody's getting pregnant. Does that mean it's good? Because the Lord says. It should only happen in the marriage bed. And if it's not happening there. It's not good. The Lord said, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Why? Because when a young man starts touching a woman, everything begins to what? And if I can touch here, I'm going to touch there. If I can touch there, I'm going to touch over here. If I can touch over here, I'm going to touch. And there's a discipline that has to take place. You have to discipline yourself when you serve the Lord. We are to worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit. Go to Romans 8, 9 through 10. In spirit first, the spirit. Understanding now, when he says spirit, he is not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about your spirit. And you go back to John 4, 24, you'll find that it's a small s, not a large s. So he's talking about your spirit. That when you step in to worship God, you're worshiping God in your spirit. But your spirit is something God has given unto you because over in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, it says one of the things that happened because man is made up of body, flesh, soul, and spirit. The Lord tells us in Matthew 10, don't worry about him who can kill the body and can't do anything with the soul. 
Because the soul can either going to go to heaven or hell. Don't worry about him who can kill the body but can't do anything with the soul. Well, the only one who can touch the spirit is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We need to understand that. And it's the Holy Spirit that quickens our spirit. We need to understand that. For that when we come in to worship God, it is our spirit that has been filled with the Holy Spirit doing this worship and this praise. Yes. Yes. need to understand that. Okay? Because he says, your spirit, you're going to worship him in spirit and you're going to worship him in truth. Your spirit is made alive by the Holy Spirit. And when you die... Your spirit don't go to hell. Your spirit goes back to God who gave it that he might communicate with us. He communicates with us through the spirit. With our spirit. Romans 8, 9 and 10. He says, start in verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, large S. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Make that very clear. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you're not born again. You're not born again. And the question is, well, how do you know if you have the Spirit? Stay with me a little bit. Come down to verse 16. Let me get there. I'm going to start in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. 16. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit, not with our soul, not with our body. Not with our soul, not with our body. But he testifies to what? To our spirit that God has given to us to commune with him. He testifies to our spirit. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit. You'll find something in your Bible. The first spirit is capitalized. The second spirit is small. Because the first spirit is the Holy Spirit. The second spirit is your spirit. Stay with me. The spirit himself testifies. To testify is to substantiate. To substantiate what? A fact. To bear witness of. To give evidence to, to affirm, declare, to declare what? If you're going to worship God, go with me to Hebrews 11.6. There's something that you have to do. And it's one of those things that Satan constantly battles with you to keep you out from doing. 
If you're going to worship God in spirit. Now, something has to happen because it has to go from the mind to the heart. Let me share something with you. God is not against our intellect, but too many of us as Christians, we have the intellect, but not the heart. We got a thousand verses remembered, but we don't know how to practice them. We have Christian Pharisees today. They can tell you what to do right, but you don't see them what? Yes. Yes. Now, now stay with me because in Hebrews 11, 6, look what he's going to say here. He says, let me get to it. Boy, these glasses, me and these bifocals. I'm going to have to get a bigger lens. I'm going to start in five in order to get to six because I can see five. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Six. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. Let's go a little further. Come down to verse 8. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must what? Say it again. If you come to him, you must what? What does Satan want to keep you from doing? Because, see, when you go into the presence of God, if you don't believe he exists, what's that song that you was hearing, Kent? I'm praying what? To a God I... How many of you are praying to a God you don't believe in? How many of you are asking a God to do something that you don't believe that he's able to do? So in my spirit, when I step in to worship God, one of the main things that has to take place that I truly believe in here, that God exists. A lot of us worship just because other people worship. A lot of us jump just because other people jump. A lot of us say amen just because the group is saying amen. The thing is, do you believe it in here? He said, to believe that God exists. And how do you believe that God exists? is by the evidence of the Holy Spirit who reveals this person of God to you. Yes. Understand, man can't do that. Man can't reveal God to you. Man can quote the verses, man can show you some things in the Bible, but the one who has to reveal God to you is the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he says the Holy Spirit testifies to what? Your spirit. That you may be able to truly worship the Lord. That you may truly be able to worship. Go to John 14, 21. Look what he says here in John 14, 21. 
He says, whoever has my commandments and obey them, he is the one who loves me. So there's some evidence. First, I have the commandments. And I, how do I get the commandments? The Holy Spirit does what? Who is the teacher? The Holy Spirit. I don't know a thing about God's commandments until the Holy Spirit really teaches me. And he says, boy, as he teaches me, I'm falling in love. Understand this. You can't worship God without a proper relationship with God. And too many of us don't work on the relationship. You're the one who has to work on your relationship. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. That you can work on the relationship. Not your intellect. But your relationship. You work on the relationship, God will give you the intellect. And he says, boy, let me find it again. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will love, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. Now catch this last part. And show myself to him. And show myself to him. Some scripture says, I will manifest myself to you. I will reveal myself to you. So when God is revealing himself, manifesting himself, he's allowing you to get to know him. That is not by other men's words per se, but that you can say, I know in whom I have believed. That you know him personally. Don't discount this personal relationship we're always talking about. It's exactly that, personal. That you learn about God. And God wants to interact with every one of us. John 16. Just a page over. John 16, 13 through 14. He says, But when he, the spirit of truth, now catch that title, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is going to teach you what? Truth. He's going to awaken your spirit to truth. That you might worship God in spirit and what? Truth. Here's the spirit of truth. And he says, the spirit of truth is going to teach you something. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into what? All truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. For that when you worship God, you're not worshiping God in ignorance. You're worshiping God because you know the full character of God. You're getting a glimpse of God. You're understanding his character. That he is a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's a pure God. And he's a God that keeps his promises. You're getting to know this God now. And you worship him in spirit. 
The Spirit of God teaches your spirit. So you may worship in your spirit the one true God. That you know that you know without a shadow of a doubt that there's only one God. And you're worshiping that one true God. Worship in truth is the opposite of worshiping in ignorance. And oftentimes we're worshiping in ignorance, not knowing who we're really worshiping. Not knowing that he's a holy, righteous God. Not knowing what he accepts and what he will not accept. How many of you could take your girlfriend's home and, and, and spend the night with your girlfriend in your mom and dad's home? Why couldn't you do that? You understood the rules of who? You even knew which kind of folks to even bring home. Now, how many of you were teenagers when you were out on the street, you would show off with a couple little cussing words and swing words? But when you got home, where were those words at? They were still out in the street. There was a respect for home. Those who were raised by parents, we knew what to bring into my dad's house and knew what not to bring in. We knew when we hit that house, certain things better drive. You may have pulled your britches down. Don't think wearing britches low was, was uh, my, my brother Howard got many whoopings because of not wearing a belt and them britches down. But the thing is, we knew when we hit home, them britches better be up waist high. There's just certain things you knew. Why is it that we think we can step into the presence of God any kind of way we want to step in? That's why the Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us the expectations of God that when we step into his presence, we're not doing it ignorantly. But we are doing it knowing how to do it. And it's a process of learning, yes. And we're going to see that. Go to Hebrews 10, 22. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. 1 Peter 1, 16. My clock is going to get me again. 1 Peter 1, 16. Then we'll run over to Hebrews. You can take the other ones and look at them at, at home. But go over to 1 Peter 1, 16. Because he's talking about that thing of our conscience and so forth. He says, for it is written, be holy because what? Yeah. How many of you take that seriously? God is saying, you just can't live any kind of way. You just can't go out here and do what you want. You are a holy priesthood. You are a godly woman. You are a godly man. And I'm expecting you to live that way. Don't come here with all your trash. Keep it away from my house. He says, I'm holy. Be ye holy. I'm holy. Be ye holy. Now, he wants us to understand something else, too. Go to Romans 3.23. And we don't want it to accept this often, but you know what? God tells us about our sin. God tells us exactly 
what we are, who we are. And then we have to deal with it. Don't be telling the God, oh Lord, I'm not going to change. Oh Lord, it's not going to be, Lord, this is too hard. Those are all excuses. Better get out of the book of Acts and get over to Romans. Romans 3 and verse 23. He simply says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is God saying to me? I'm inviting you in. But I know your behavior. I know what you really are. But I'm going to give you the power through the Holy Spirit to change. I'm going to give you the tools and the equipment for that. When you come into my presence to worship me, you don't have to come with the filth. You don't have to come with the guilt. You don't have to come with the sin, per se, when you come to worship me. Understand, worshiping God is one thing. Repentance before God is another. You don't really begin to worship until after you have repented. And he simply says, here, boy, we all have sinned. So God knows us. The thing is now, we got to look at ourselves and say, I can sin at a drop of a hat. Therefore, you make rules for yourself. You protect yourself. So when I travel, I make sure I call Elaine every night. And we pray on the phone. I make sure that at a certain time, I'm in my hotel room. That if she calls, I can get it. We kind of protect each other. I make sure that if I go out, I'm with another pastor or two other men with me. Why? Safeguard. Because it's so easy to get out here on your own and see something and be entrapped. So you have to safeguard yourself. A lot of people say, well, why do you like cowboys? Because cowboys don't have what everything else has in it sometimes. Staying with John Wayne is pretty safe. You got to safeguard yourself. And if you don't safeguard yourself, you're going to fall into the pits. And then you're trying to go before God and convince, I love the Lord. I love, where is that? And you can't even worship him because you got all this guilt and shame. And God says, face the truth about yourself. I'm a sinner. Knowing that I will sin, I need to build these safeguards. I got to watch my mouth. Because how quick is it for us to lie? I got to watch my mouth because I can start telling the story and people start laughing. So I even kind of what embellish the story. We got to watch our mouths. In Hebrews 10, 22, turn over to it. Because this is what God is expecting of us. Hebrews 10 and verse 22. 
when I come into his presence, he wants me to have a clean conscience. He wants me to have a pure heart. He says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Is, is your heart desiring God above all else? See, if God is first, no woman, no man, no money, no job, no title, no anything will take that place. God is first. And when God is first, what you're saying, Lord, I'm going to honor you in every part of my life. Now understand this, this principle. God said, if you honor me, I'll honor you. You lift me up, I'll lift you up. It's a principle that is very true in Scripture. And God performs. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance that as I draw near to God, God's not doing this to me. You ever find some people that you're trying to approach and they're backing up? There's something wrong with who? And the thing we need to understand is this here. God is not going to allow me just to approach him any kind of way. But in full assurance, as I step towards God, that he's right there, arms wide open, to receive me unto himself. That when I voice my prayer, that God gives me full attention. And as I'm drawing nigh to him, he's just saying, come on, my child, come on. And he goes on, he says, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. For that when I step in to worship him, I don't have a what? A guilty conscience. It's been washed. Forgiveness has been received. I've been repentant of those sins. That's under the blood of Christ. And it's been taken care of. That I can fully step in to worship and praise with him. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That when I step into his presence to worship him and put my requests before him, that there's nothing blocking in my life from God answering my prayers. And I have full confidence that he's going to perform and he's going to do on my behalf. Turn with me to Exodus 30. I want you to see this of the old priests as they stepped into the temple. What God commanded. Verses 18 and 19. Before you stepped in, they had a basin there which you would wash yourself. Sometimes we make fun of the Catholic Church, but they still use this in a sense. If you ever step into a Catholic Church, before you step anywhere into that sanctuary, any front, right there as you open the door, there's a little thing of water that usually hangs on the wall. And would you take that water and you make your little sign. But what it is to them, they are washing themselves. 
from the world before they ever step into the presence of God. It's a thing of washing themselves before they stepped into the holiness of God. And let me see. 18 and 19. Pick up in verse 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meetings, they shall wash with water so that they will not, what? Die. Why? What is God saying? When you come into my presence, you're going to be clean. You're going to be clean from the elements of the world. You, you, you would have washed yourself. You've cleansed yourself to be in my presence. You've cleansed your mind. You've cleansed your thoughts. You've cleansed your body of the things of this world. For that when you're worshiping me, there's a purity and holiness between us. John 15, 3. Look what the Spirit does in this area now in preparing us. John 15 and verse 3. He says, You are already cleansed because of the word. How many understand that the word has a cleansing effect? That the word cleanses your mind. That the word cleanses you. That's important to understand. God's word will keep you away from sin if you are obedient unto it. Therefore, all day long, as you're obeying God, you can be in worship with God. And you're worshiping Him. Because the Word cleanses us. The Word sanctifies us. The Word sets us apart that we can be in His presence. Face the truth about yourself. That's the most difficult thing that we'll ever do. Because, see, if we don't face truth about ourselves, we'll carry that lie into the presence of who? And what God wants me to do is deal with the truth before I even step into his presence. That's why he's given me the Holy Spirit to convict me of my sin before I come in to worship him. Can you run the mile? Somebody was talking about this earlier. Can you run a four-minute mile? Can't do it. If we try to have Roscoe run a four-minute mile, we have to have the emergency group out there and everything else. That's just true. We would have to face that, wouldn't we? There are some things, can you hit a 105-mile ball out of the park? I can't even see it coming across the plate. There, there are some things we can't do. Are you a charismatic speaker? Maybe there will be one in here. 
But most of us are not a charismatic speaker. We have to face that truth. Be an investigator about your life. The Lord didn't call me to examine your life. But he says to you, examine your life. See if you're in the faith. Take a good look at yourself. See if you're walking in such a way that is honorable and worthy of the calling of Christ in your life. You examine it. You take a good look at it. Investigate your own life. Search for the truth about your situation in life that you may not want to accept. You build up such a lie that you don't want to accept the truth. Go with me to Psalms 119.59. This verse, one more, and then we're done. Look what the challenge is in 119 and verse 59. And ask yourself, have you done this? If you haven't, I would, I would challenge you to do it. He says, I have considered my ways. King James says, I have thought on my ways. I've given thought to it. Have you really given thought to your life? Have you really given thought to it? Have you really examined it and looked at it? Most of us as young people, we don't plan our lives. We don't plan to move forward with our lives. You're the one who got to plan it. I never liked winning. I always saw winning as a waste of money. So when I was 20, and back then you had to be 21 years old to buy a home. But when I was 20 years old, I bought my first home. I was about five months away from being 21. And when the guy from VA came to talk to me, I told it don't make sense to me to rent because I can't write none of it off on taxes. I don't get a dime of it back. And I want my own home. And I was married, working in an apprenticeship, and I wanted my own business. And I started my own business also. And the whole thing is, do you consider your ways and what he's talking about? Are you planning your life? Are you talking it over with God? Are you know where you're going, your directions? Or do you just let the wind blow you here and blow you there? Let your mistakes take over you from here, overwhelm you here, and say to yourself, I can't do any better. And the scripture says, consider your ways. And have turned my steps to your statues. Now what did he say? I examined my ways in light of your word. And your word caused me to turn. See, 
I'm not going by my own opinion. But I'm weighing my thoughts against something. What am I weighing it against? God's word. God, would you have me do this? And finding it in his word. Talking with him, praying with him, getting confirmation from him, getting him to affirm what I'm doing. I considered my ways. And after looking at God's word and spending time with God, I changed my directions. I changed my directions. Last one, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to be impure. How many of you understand that? God, hear too many Christians saying, I can't help it. This is just me. No. If you're called of God, God did not call you to live an impure life. God did not call you to live a life of adultery. God did not call you to live a life down in the mari clay. God did not call you into shame. God did not call you to live in darkness and to sneak around and to lie and to cheat. God did not call you. God called you into his light that everything we do can be seen by others and judged by others. And it's always above board. I don't have to hide anything in my life. It all can be seen. Because there's nothing to be hid. For there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing that I have to hide or sneak about. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. To live a holy life. God called me into that. Why? That I might worship him. In spirit and in truth. He's called me to live holy. Why? He wants to commune with me. He wants me in his presence. But he will not accept me in his presence with all my filth, all my garbage, all my uncleanness, all my anger, all my malice, all my envy. He will not accept it. And he's made it possible through the Holy Spirit that I would not be ignorant of his ways and his expectations upon my life. And he has taught me just like my parents. My dad used to have a saying and it was simply this. The door swings two ways. You're the one who will make the decision which way it's swinging. That door can swing open 
for you. And you can always step in it and be blessed because anything in this home, you can eat of it, you can sleep, you can take your rest. But if you're not willing to come in and respect my rules in my home, the door is locked. <laughs> and if you're in the house and you disrespect it, he used to tell us, you don't have to go out through that door, I'll make one for you. Yeah. But that door can swing both ways. Understand that about God. That door swings both ways for us. It opens for us when we are obedient to God. And it shuts for us when we're disobedient. Amen? Amen. Let's worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, O oh God, that you have called us to be a holy people as you are holy. You've called us to live righteously because, Lord, you're teaching us how to be righteous. And, Lord, we recognize that, Lord, we can only live to that area in which you have taught us. We cannot go beyond that area. But Lord, as you teach us, O oh God, step by step by step by step, may we be willing to practice it and to do it and put it into our lives, O oh God. And Lord, if we are a people sometime who are stiff-necked and hard-headed and slow to learn, O oh God, we're so thankful that you're patient and you're long-suffering with us and you're willing to teach us anew. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, that we would not be ignorant when we step into your presence. But we would step in your presence knowing how to worship you, how to praise you, how to honor you, how to respect you, and to recognize that, Lord, we're able to live in a way that is honorable, to the calling that you have placed on our lives. Help us, O oh God, not to live in the sinfulness of this world. But you came and you have taken us out of the marry clay and you have set our feet upon a solid foundation. May we show that, O oh God, we desire to walk there on higher ground in love with you. Minister to us, Lord, that we come in to your presence, whether it be in this building, whether it be in our living room, whether it be in our bedroom, wherever we step into your presence in a sense to worship you, that we do it in spirit and in truth. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Paul says that there are those who have a form of godliness. And maybe you've made up your own rules about religion. Maybe you've made up your own way of seeing God. But God wants you to see him through his word. And God wants you to accept the one and only true God that only the Holy Spirit can reveal. If you've never accepted Christ, Christ said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Would you start with Christ 
and let him introduce you to the Father? Would you come if you've never accepted Christ personally in the forgiveness of your sins? Would you come? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, because you know every heart in this room. And you know, oh God, there's one who does not know thee, oh God, and the pardon of their sins. And Lord, if there be one among us who do not know you, we pray that the hound dog of heaven will go after them. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to give to the Lord, we give with thanksgiving. And we give acknowledging. Yes. You want to join. All right. Well, praise God.